Hey guys, before we get started with this episode of Madison Story Slam, I would like to take a minute to thank our sponsors. This episode, as is every episode, is sponsored by Ale Asylum. Ale Asylum makes great beer for great people, and we are happy to have them be a part of what we're doing at Madison Story Slam. This episode is also sponsored by the great people at Olson Vacuum Cleaner Sales and Service. Olson Vacuum Cleaner Sale and Service has two stores serving the Madison and Southern Wisconsin area since 1943. If you've got a dirty floor and no way to clean it, go see the friendly guys over at Olson Vacuum. Like I said, they've got two locations, one on the east side and one on the west side of Madison. You can see them on the east side at 1978 South Stoughton Road and on the west side at 6801 Odana Road. Do us a favor, go see them for all of your needs. If you need to buy a vacuum or you've got a vacuum that isn't quite running right, they can set you up. Thank you to Ale Asylum and thank you to Olson Vacuum. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Madison Storiesland podcast. It's me, your host, you know, general NPR voice man. No, it's actually me, Adam Rosted, the host of Madison Storiesland. Welcome to the show today. And we have the rest of our stories on this episode from There Will Be Blood. It's from our event that took place on February 17th at the Wilmar Center in Madison, Wisconsin. That's where we do all of our monthly events. So if you are looking for a storytelling community to be a part of, that's where you can find us. The third Saturday of every month. In fact, our next one is actually this week. If you're listening to the episode when it came out, it's this Saturday, March 17th. And the theme is big. So any story that you have that can be, you know, put into that theme, something big that happened to you, maybe you got a big promotion, or you fell down a big hill, or you took a big crap. I don't know. We don't really care how you fit it into the theme, but we just care that you try somehow. And and if you're a regular, you know that we also don't really even care if you try. We just want to hear good stories at our events. So if you've got a good story to tell, and you're in the Madison, Wisconsin area on March 17th, you should come tell a story. We're sponsored by Ale Asylum, as you heard at the beginning here, and uh, we're expecting a great time at the Wilmar Center. Also, I need to tell you, May 12th, that's Saturday, May 12th, at Mr. Roberts, which is a bar at 2116 Atwood Avenue in Madison, Wisconsin, we're doing a brand new event called Read It and Weep, and what we want is for you to come and read old journal entries, old letters, old short stories, anything that you wrote before you graduated high school, we want you to come and read, or really anything that you have at least 10 years separation from. We want you to read these things because we believe that when we read and share these things that might be embarrassing, funny, or heartfelt, that we get to learn about each other and learn that, hey, we're all the same, We all come from the same shit. We've all gone through it, and it's going to be so much fun. 
We are asking that if you want to come and read something, that you submit what you are reading beforehand so we know what we're dealing with. Anyway, on this episode of the podcast, like I said, stories from There Will Be Blood. We've got tons of great stories. First up is a guy who's been coming to Madison Story Slam for a number of years, but his first time telling a story is on this episode. His name is Quint Jensen, so here is Quint. Please put your hands together for Quint Jensen. When I saw the, the theme for tonight, I went over my litany of injuries trying to decide which one would be the best to share with you all tonight. I've had my eyelid ripped off. I've been, <laughs> I've been bit by a dog, hit by a car, busted my head open five times, um, cut myself to the bone with X-Acto knives multiple times, and ripped off a thumbnail. So I, I, had, to, I had to go potpourri here and, and, and pick it out of, a, out of a hat. And tonight I'm going to share with you a story um, that I'll call, call it Six on Five. Uh, when I was five years old, the summer of 1978, I was living in a small apartment with a single mom just off of Park Street, West Badger, over on the south side of Madison. My mom uh, put together a little birthday party. Family came over. My grandma brought this German chocolate cake. Who, who doesn't like German chocolate cake? Oh, my God. I love German chocolate cake. Even after the story, I like German chocolate cake. <laughs> So, you know, we have dinner. I don't know what the heck we had for dinner, and I really don't care because I had chocolate cake. And uh, after it was all done, we were going to open presents, but my mom said, first, you got to go wash your hands and make yourself presentable before you get your gooey hands on the presents. So as I'm heading for the bathroom, my mom says, hey, stop, just a second. Don't stand on that diaper pail to wash your hands. Don't you dare stand on that diaper pail. Who here knows what a diaper pail is? Okay. Hey, some people here know what a diaper pail is. I'm impressed. Um, so, of course, the five-year-old boy code says, if your mother tells you not to do something, you must do it. So I head off to the bathroom, and I get to the sink. And I bend down, and I slide that diaper pail out. And I'm so proud. I'm five-year-old. I'm in charge of my own destiny. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see how it goes. And so I, I, I climb up on the diaper pail, and um, I wasn't always this tall. So I needed the help to reach the sink. And I start washing my hands, and I wash my face. And I look in the mirror, and I think, OK, I'm, I'm presentable. Time to get down and, and dry my hands. Well, for the first time, I, I stood on this thing dozens of times to wash my hands. This night, the damn diaper pail turned on me. <laughs> it slid off to the side. I shot off to the right-hand side. Toilet bowl over here. Yeah. Back of my head smacked on the tank of the toilet, on the bowl of the toilet, and then onto the floor. I'm five years old, and I'm screaming bloody murder. My aunt's the first one who comes flying into the bathroom, and she does one of these, like, <gasps> you know, and, and I'm like, okay, you got to call. Mom, come, come, come. So she calls for my mom, who's Mary, and Mary comes, and she walks into the bathroom, and she does the same sort of deal, like, <gasps> well, because apparently... I was laying in a pool of blood with spatters of blood on the wall and on the tub. Yeah, there was, there was blood. <laughs> so my mom calls for my grandfather, and finally we have an adult who has the presence of mind to actually take action. So, so he grabs some of these uh, bath towels that were laying around, and he wraps my head 
and he throws me into his, what is it, I think it was a brown Buick LeSabre, big old car back then. And um, we lived like three minutes from St. Mary's Hospital at that point. So my grandfather, you know, he hits the gas. We go flying down Park Street. I'm sure we broke a couple of laws on the way. And uh, he screeches up in front of the entrance to the emergency room, and he carries me in. And as we walk in, there's a nurse. You know, there's the, there's the check-in desk right here, and there's a nurse on the side. And she sees a five-year-old boy with bloody towels wrapped around his head. It didn't matter who else was in line. I was number one. I became patient number one. So she took me in, they put me into a wheelchair and started wheeling me away. Now, at this point, I'm being wheeled away with no other adults. All the other adults are you know, preoccupied up front attending to all the paperwork, which is clearly more important than a bleeding five-year-old. And I'm just carried away with this nurse. And now, I don't know who, whoever got to see the, the bowels of St. Mary's back in the day, but it was a warren, it was a maze. People were, people were just, flying everywhere, they're cruising through these hallways, lights flashing over the top of me, and we get to stop at this room. I'm in a room, I have no idea where I am, and I have no idea who's with me. And I'm five, and I'm hurt, and I'm bleeding. So the nice nurse lady, she takes me, she picks me up and she lays me face down on the bed. Shortly behind her, the doctor walks in, walks over to the bed and he picks up the edge of the towel, and he does one of these. <gasps> he sees blood spurting out of the back of my head. I had busted an artery back here and I was losing blood very, very quickly. And so the doctor, he goes into emergency doctor mode, right? We have to get this kid taken care of. Well, I'm five years old. I'm alone. I'm in pain. Don't touch me. Leave me alone. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being cooperative. How's that? That might be a nice way of putting it. <laughs> So the doctor, he's, he's called doctor for a reason. He's a freaking genius. He runs out into the hallway, and he gets six nurses. For one five-year-old, six nurses. I have one nurse on each one of my arms laid on the bed. I've got one nurse on each leg, and I'm laid out on the bed. And then I've got one who puts a hand on my back gently. You know, she's not trying to hurt me. And then I've got one holding my head still. And the doctor says, okay, it's time for me to do my work. And he takes a look. You know, on the side, there are those little uh, stainless steel trays. And he had a bunch of syringes laid out there. I'm assuming they had some lidocaine, novocaine, something like that. And this, okay, it becomes a horror movie at this point. He just starts picking them up and like, bam, 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 bam. I don't know how many, because I finally passed out. <laughs> but apparently it worked. Um, and I was, I was out. Um, I screamed, I hollered. My mom said she could hear me back in the waiting room. It was, uh, it, as a child, it was a horrifying experience. Now afterwards, I remember sitting on the side of the bed with uh, my head covered in betadine and blood. So I'm sure it was a beautiful sight. And I had one of those little safety suckers, you know, with the little paper loop handles, you know, about this big around. I don't know what the hell they thought. I'm like, hey, you're not my friend. I sucker or no sucker, you are not my friend today. But, <laughs> but I survived the experience, and physically I was okay. But I was scarred emotionally because for the rest of my life, I have been completely and utterly terrified of anything with a needle. I had to get an, an IV one time. I remember... My wife came shortly after I passed out. Uh, I was laying on, on the bed. They gave me the IV. 
I literally just fell onto the floor. Nurse was a guy about this big, and he wasn't going to try to pick me up. So he just left me laying there until my wife got there <laughs> to help me up. <laughs> but I did really live with a terrifying fear of needles um, for most of my life until last fall. And it was quite, a, quite the experience I had last fall, and maybe it's a story I can tell another time. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Quint. Please put your hands together for Tom Schmidt. So I have a, a medley of blood stories for you, all a bunch of little short snippets. So first grade, the, uh, we used to play uh, strikeout on the uh, uh, school wall, brick wall, and the, uh, the, I don't know if anybody knows what strikeout is, but basically you draw a rectangle on the wall, which is the, the batter's box. The person stands in front of the batter's box, and another person throws a ball. The idea is to put it in that box without the batter hitting it. At the same time this is taking place, this strikeout game, there's a game of tag going on on the playground. And the game of tag, the person who was trying to avoid being tag was not watching where she was going and ran into the batter's box as the bat came around. And uh, I don't know the result other than the fact that the next day there was still blood on the pavement of the school grounds. I don't think anything, I don't think it was other than going to the hospital. Another first grade story, we had uh, the Milwaukee Braves. I grew up in Milwaukee. The Milwaukee Braves were the team, and anything having to do with baseball was big time. Warren Spahn lived in our neighborhood, and we would ride our bikes over and stand in front of his house hoping he would come out and acknowledge us. He never did. I don't know if people know who Warren Spahn was, but he was one of the best left-hand pitchers in Major League Baseball. He still may hold some records. The, one of the kids had a golf ball that was painted like a baseball. And so for us kids, that was a really big deal to have this golf ball that looked like a baseball. One of the kids had a, a bat. And so the circle of kids are standing around on the driveway. And this one kid throws the ball, the ball, golf ball up into the air and hits it and hits one of the kids smack in the forehead. I was standing right next to this kid and this bump that came out just shot out of his head, recessed back into his head, all the way around blood just squirted out and then the, the bump reemerged. Anyway, everybody scattered except for me. The bat was laying on the ground, and of course I'm standing there, and his mother comes tearing out of the house, thinking I did this, grabbed her kid, threw him in the car, and drove away. And I'm still standing there. So later on that day, she stopped over at our house and apologized to me, because she had said a few words. And um, so that's that story. Sixth grade. 
were playing dodgeball, which was the game for our school. And a friend of mine had his back turned to the game. Now, our playground was asphalt. And it was, well, actually it was tar. And on a really hot day, which is what this was, you could actually take your hands and dig into it. Well, anyway, Scott had his back turned to the volleyball, or the dodgeball game, and the ball hit him right in the back of the head and he blacked out. He went right down into the asphalt. Well, when we lifted him up, his two front teeth had broken out and were still in the asphalt. <laughs> now, it's not much of a blood story, but it's a great story. <laughs> My son had a good friend, and this friend was, when he took his high school, I mean, this is in grade school, but when he took his ACTs, SAT tests, he scored 100% on both of them. Kid was brilliant. So this brilliant kid, when he was at, in grade school, was over at our house, and they were, my son and him were cutting up bagels, and this brilliant kid stuck his thumb through the center of the bagel and started sawing through it. <laughs> there's street smarts and there's book smarts. <laughs> I was, went out, my son lives out in Montana and he's a hunter. And so I hadn't done any shooting for a long time. This was not maybe five, six years ago. And so he was sighting in his rifle up in, the, uh, up in the mountains. And I thought it would be f nice to shoot the rifle again. And uh, so he had a scope and he had it uh, sitting on the tail of his uh, pickup truck. And uh, the target was, we marched it off, it was 200 yards. And uh, so I crouched down to get, be able to see through the scope and uh, any hunters here may know what is going to happen, but when I the recall on the recoil on the rifle, the scope came back and smacked me right above the eye, knocked my glasses off, and blood just came pouring down my face. My son's an EMT, so he ended up butterflying it and cleaning it us up, and we had a good laugh about it, and. Uh, but the only thing I was concerned about is where that damn bullet went. <laughs> and it was a quarter inch above the bullseye, which was a good deal. We're up in Canada now with another friend of mine, and we're, we go paddling every year for the last 30 years. And we go up quite high in Canada to, to do this. And we would f fish while we were traveling. And I got a northern on my line, and we don't carry a net with us. Uh, and so I grabbed them, and he flipped, and I had three, three of my, well, my thumb and two fingers were all embedded in the treble hooks, and the fish was still attached to the, to the lure. So this bugger's moving around, and I'm trying to, I grabbed them and had my friend paddle us ashore, and the first thing we did is we got this damn fish off the hooks and threw him out into the lake, and he was pretty much dead at that time. Uh, so the eagles had a little food, which was nice. And then we proceeded to take our 
Leatherman tool and attempt to cut these treble hooks off, which we did, and uh, bandaged myself up. But, you know, I don't know what it is. You know, sometimes you get a little giddy, I guess it would be a word for it. Or, but we were just laughing so hard through this whole thing. And there's impression of the rocks down below us was just filled with blood squirting out of my, my hands. So, one more yet. We're up in Canada. This time it's my son and a bunch of his friends. And these, the, the sons and, and, well, the fathers and their sons, and he was, uh, the kids were going to chop some wood. We brought an ax along or a hatchet along. And so they found some wood and decided that uh, they would chop it. And, and we just thought, well, you know, the kids are old enough. They know how to do this. And uh, the brilliant kid is along on this trip, by the way. <laughs> and uh, so one of the boys had the, the axe. And at, just as the axe is coming down, the brilliant boy decided that it'd be a good idea to move the piece of wood and it came down on top of his hand. And he got cut pretty bad. So now we're out, and we're out way back. We had traveled 11 miles that day and over I don't know how many porridges. And uh, we had our first aid kit along. Uh, but the blood was coming so fast, we couldn't dry the damn thing off to get any purchase with, a, with you know, butterfly bandages. And so what we ended up doing is we ended up splinting it and wrapping it in gauze and tape. Uh, one of the fathers had along some stuff that would help the kid fall asleep real fast. <laughs> and uh, the next morning, uh, two fathers and two sons paddled out. And uh, two fathers and two sons continued on the, uh, on the trip. Now, that's it for my stories, but now it's a public service announcement. <laughs> I donate to the Red Cross. And for me, it's real easy, because I've got veins that, that are there, and I bleed fast. Now, I don't know how many of you people donate blood, but it's a really important thing to do. And it's the only good thing I do in my life. <laughs> And you can ask my wife about that. <laughs> but I would encourage you, if you have the ability, to go and donate. There are blood centers all over Madison. I like to go out to the Sheboygan Avenue one, which is the main Red Cross Center here in Madison. And they have uh, the vampires there that take your blood are very nice. And also the treats afterwards are really good too. They all, all the leftovers from Panera show up there. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you, Tom. Our next storyteller is one of my favorite people to watch on stage. He's always entertaining. He's a little bit nervous about not having control over the mic right now. Uh, he hasn't told the story here in over a year, but it's always good. So please put your hands together for Dave Babbler. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Adam. Uh, yeah, so I do like to do a lot of movements. So this is going to be kind of weird, but uh, I think I'll get used to it. Um, 
So here's the thing about stereotypes. I think they're kind of useful. I think I can generally, you know, categorize people, and you know, and, and I do it a lot. I do it all the time. Like I went into like a, a, a cafe the other day, and I saw this guy. He's wearing he's wearing a Patagonia vest and a Patagonia hat. And I'm like, okay, yeah, we get it. Okay, and, and I do that all the time. I don't know if you guys do that, but you see someone and they're wearing, you know, like flannels and a flannel and like ripped jeans. And you're like, okay, yeah, Nirvana. Or whatever. We do that so much. It's like it's, it's it's in our human nature, I think, to just like want to categorize and arrange things. But freaking people always break those molds all the time. It's crazy. In fact, you don't want to. I'm gonna do something right now. Is I don't want you guys to confuse this appearance with the type of person that I am. I know you're looking and you're like, okay. You know, you know, military cut. He's wearing a North Face micro fleece. Like, okay, yeah, we get it, dude. <laughs> but that is totally not who I am. In fact, this is not. This is an insecure twenty-something with balding hair and trying to mask it by buying trendy brands. Like, that's, this isn't. This isn't me saying, "Oh, I'm outdoorsy." This is. And I just want to clarify that so you guys get a sense of the type of person that I am, in case I may have misinformed you with the apparel that I wore tonight. Because I know we do that all the time. So I really want to set that groundwork for a very brief story that I want to tell is that I am an insecure person. I think about what other people think, not just about me, but about other people. In fact, part of that is I hate, I don't hate, I loathe conflict. It, 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 the second two people get in a room with butting heads, I'm just like, oh God, okay. And so I, just, I start loosening my collar, I start wiping the sweat from my brow, and I'm like, no, no, no. Like, that's, that, that's, I'm that guy. Unfortunately, well, some might say fortunately, but I say unfortunately. And so I have to deal with that. In fact, I went into work recently, and like there are two people butting heads, and I had that same moment. They were arguing about something political, and I'm like, okay, uh, what's your guys' uh, position on steel-cut oats? <laughs> like, that's that's uncontroversial. We can talk about that. Um, you know, rolled oats, steel-cut. I mean, okay, okay. I'll see you guys later. I'll see you after lunch. I'm uncomfortable with those type of situations. So when I was in high school, I had friends, yes. Um, and one of those particular friends approached me and was like, Dave, and I'm like, oh, uh, hey, Jeff. <laughs> um, he's like, dude, we're going up to Door County this weekend. We're going camping. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, um, okay, Jeff. <laughs> He's like, oh, do you want to come? I'm like, yeah, I guess. I guess I'll come. And so I, I, I don't have like a ton of emotions. I'm just kind of a neutral person. I'm like the neutron of human beings. <laughs> um, like, I'm just kind of a buffer to social situations. And so he's like, I guess I'll go. And so I'm, you know, I'm packing. I approach the weekend. I'm packing. I'm getting ready. It should be okay. It should be a fun time. It'll be all right. So the day comes that we go up for the weekend to Door County, and it starts off great. I actually have excitement for, you know, a rare instance, and I'm having a lot of fun. We're doing outdoorsy things. Um, but then one of my friends springs a surprise on us, and he's like, all right, you guys. So we're, we're actually, we're riding in the back of a pickup, you know, spring breeze is flying, the latest t pains going, and we're like, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, this is great. And he's like, all right, and we get to our destination. He didn't tell us where we're going because he organized the whole thing. And he's like, all right, here's the surprise. And we get to the, like, deep into like, the forest. And he's like, we're going on a bike. Bike. We're going biking. And immediately, my soul sinks to my feet. And I just feel like I got sentenced to death row because I don't know how to ride a bike. 
And the last thing that this human person wants to do is cause some sort of social disruption or just like ruin these people's weekend. And I'm just uh, like, I, like I said, this was a death row sentence. And all he said was we're going biking. And I just sit there and like everyone in here is like, well, of course you told him you don't know how to ride a bike. No, I didn't. Why would I do that? Neutron. <laughs> and, so, and so I say, okay, okay, Jeff, <laughs> let's go biking. And they start getting all the bikes ready. They're all set up and ready for us to go. And they're all, they're all super excited. They're singing T-Pain and, and then they, they hop on and I'm like, okay, so I put my foot, okay, yeah, this makes sense, I think. Pedals. How hard could it be? I'll just do it. So I hop on, and they're like, they're kicking and getting the gear. I don't know what you bike people do. <laughs> when I, I, start getting, I start getting situated, and everyone's like, everyone takes off. And I just, <laughs> just kind of like stumble to the side and like go for a foot. And they're like, Dave, what are you doing? I, I'm coming. No, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. Don't worry about it. And so I have to like sort of just like propel myself until like like a minute later. So I was like, Dave, do you know how to ride a bike? I'm like, I don't want to cause a problem. I don't know how to ride a bike. And immediately the f expressions on their faces were just like, <sighs> like we're, they're stuck out here in the forest with this guy that doesn't know how to ride a bike. They don't want to go ahead. I'm like, no, I'll just figure it out. And so I insist, I insist on not ruining the social or disrupting the social situation. I refuse to do that. And so I keep going until we eventually get to the corner of a hill. And, and I'm like, kind of like, you know, propelling myself for three feet and then wobbling and then stabilizing myself. <laughs> until I get to a point where I have to stabilize myself on the edge of a hill and click. And I fall. And it, I'll be honest, you guys are probably picturing your head like. Pff, pff, I just kind of like fell over. <laughs> but it was enough to, to, to sprain my ankle. And immediately everyone with depressed look in their face says, let's go back. I know, poor Neutron. <laughs> so they walk me back and I have to go to the doctor and I ruin everyone's exciting weekend. I pull the pine cones out of my shin and I say, I'm sorry. <laughs> But I think the lesson that I learned from that is, is maybe it's appropriate to be honest and forthright from the beginning and maybe cause a little disruption socially in order to create actual homeostasis of the social situations. Thank you, guys. Aren't these stories from There Will Be Blood, just wonderful. Hey, if you've got blood on your floor, you probably need a mop. But if you've got other things like dust and dirt and lint on your floor, you probably need a vacuum. This episode of Madison Story Slam is sponsored by Olson Vacuum Cleaner Sales and Service. Olson Vacuum Cleaner has been operating in the Madison and Southern Wisconsin area since 1943. They're helping us out this month at our March 17th Story Slam by giving us a handheld vacuum to give away. So that's pretty awesome. If you need vacuums to buy or you need a vacuum to be fixed, 
you should take them over to Olson Vacuum Sales and Service. They've got two locations, one on Stoughton Road on the east side of Madison and one on the west side on Odana Road near Burlington Coat Factory. Hey, thank you so much, Olson's Vacuum Sales and Service, for believing in what we do and wanting to be a part of it. Let's go back to some stories. Storyteller is on both of our new best of CDs, right? And she's an amazing storyteller. <laughs> and you should buy those CDs because you want to hear both of her stories, right? Woo! Please put your hands together for Mel Hammond. I was having a really, really great week. It was this past summer, the first week of June. And it was Madison summer, beautiful weather, warm and perfect. Um, I was able to start biking to work, which is one of my favorite things. Um, It's about a a 12-mile bike ride from my house to work. And um, I I love being able to do it a a couple times a week. Um, And so I I just always feel better when I bike to work. I'm I'm in bliss all day. And on top of that, I was having a short week that week. Um, I was getting ready for my five-year college reunion. Um, That weekend, I was flying out on a Thursday, and I was so excited. I hadn't seen most of my friends from college for five years, and um, the reunion at my college was just infamous for being a weekend of drinking and dancing with just so many generations of people. I went to a women's college, so it was basically just like a weekend of dancing with old ladies, and just like so, so fun. So I I was having an awesome week. So it was um, a morning where I was going to bike to work, and I I get on my bike, and it's just a beautiful day. And um, I always take the Southwest Commuter Trail, And it's a straight shot, a very flat, easy, straight ride. Um, And there are always, there are a lot of commuters who are on that trail. And everyone's just always in a good mood when they're riding their bike along that trail. And I had done this bike ride so many times before. So I'm biking, and I've gotten about two miles. And I cross, I'm coming to a, a road. Um, and I always pause and look to the left and look to the right for cars. And so I'm, I'm at the road, and I've looked to the left. There's, there's no one coming. I've looked to the right. There's no one coming. So I start crossing the street, and then I, I see in the corner of my eye a car zooming in from the right, and they, they stop. They screech to a halt. And I screech to a halt, too. And I, I look at the driver, and the driver has stopped and is waving me along. And I'm like, oh, I am so grateful. Thank you, car, for letting me pass. That was so nice of you. And because I'm a really polite biker, I, I lifted my hand to give them a little wave, like, hey, thanks. And as soon as I lift my hand up, I go, whoa. And I just tumble over. I completely crash in the middle of the road. I'm in no real danger because this car has already stopped. Like, no, no one is moving. Um, 
So I crash the ground, and the driver is looking at me in horror. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's fine, it's fine. And I stand up, and I drag my bike off the road onto the other side into the grass. And um, the driver pulls up a little and rolls down their window, and they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. I'm a very polite biker. I'm fine. Just, um, I'll, I'll just be on my way. And so the driver continues I'm in the grass, and I stand up my bike so that I can get back on it and keep going. And I'm swinging my leg over the side, and I happen to look down, and um, there's just blood pooling in my leg. It's not dripping yet. Um, It's just like, imagine like a lake of blood. Um, It's not going anywhere. It's just like there. Um, It was there in my leg. Um, So I'm like, hmm. I, I probably should take a look at that. So, <laughs> so I look at it, and I have three deep gashes in my leg, and the, the blood is kind of just quivering there. It hasn't, hasn't overflown yet, but it's quivering. And um, so I um, sit down in the grass, and I'm like, all right, this is going to make, make my commute a little longer. That's too bad. Um, And then as soon as the first bead of blood starts dripping over the edge, I'm like, oh, this is not good. So I realize I'm probably going to need to ride to work. So I get out my phone, and I'm like, I got to call my boyfriend, Zahib. He's right here. He's in the story tonight. Um, And I'm like, all right, let's, let's find his number. So I unlock my phone, and I'm like, all right, what do I? And I'm like, I have dream hands. I'm like, how do I, what? So I like click a lot of buttons and I'm like on Facebook. I'm like, why am I checking Facebook? <laughs> and finally I get to the, the, the phone, the calling app. Um, and I, I go over and I'm like, I'm searching Z and then I'm like, ugh. And I scroll all the way down. I'm like, why don't I have him in my favorites? And I get to the very bottom, like, Zahib. And I I press it, and it calls him. And he's like, hello? And I know that he's driving to work at the time. I'm like, um, I need help. And then I pass out in the grass. (laughs) And then when I come to, um, I'm like... I'm in the grass, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, huh, this is nice. (laughs) What a nice day. (laughs) And then I look over at this bench over over in the distance, and I'm like, I'd like to get to that bench. And I'm like, wait, what was I doing? And then I'm looking around, and I'm like, wait, where's my phone? And I'm like patting around in the grass, and I hold it up, and I'm like, hello? And Zahib's still there. He's like, Mel? (laughs) Um, I'm like, I hurt myself. Um, He's like, what happened? I'm like, "Uh, can you come get me? He's like, where are you? I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. Okay, he's like, send your location. I'm like, walking me through it. He does tech support for a living, um, but not usually to people who have just passed out. Um, so I'm like, I'm working on it. I really am. And I'm looking down, and I'm like, there's blood coming out 
um, from my leg. And he's like, okay, do you have anything to like stop it with? Do you have any sort of cloth? And I'm like, no, I don't have anything. I was wearing bike shorts, which are not absorbent. They're, they're meant to like get rid of the sweat. Um, and like, same for my shirt. It was like wicking material. I'm like, I had my backpack, but that's also, it's just like hot, like thick canvas. Um, he's like, find something to like stop the bleeding. So I'm like, oh, wait. So I unzip my backpack and I find the pocket full of tampons and painting liners. And there we go. It's perfect. You didn't think that was coming, but like this was also a period story. (laughs) So I take out a painting liner and it is the perfect bandage for my gushing leg. And so I sit there, and I'm sobbing because I'm a huge baby. And I'm like, it hurts, it hurts. And so I finally figure out how to send my location. I wait there. I sit sobbing next to my bicycle (laughs) with a panty liner on my leg. (laughs) And cyclists are passing, and they're like, are you okay? And obviously I'm not okay, but I also don't need their help. So I'm like, "Just, just go. Someone's coming. It's fine. Um, so I sit there and wait. Zahib comes and picks me up. Um, I call urgent care, and if you go to the emergency department, it costs $50. If you go to the urgent care, it's free. So I was like, it's, it's fine. I'll make an appointment, and then I'll go. Um, so I make an appointment for 11 o'clock, and Zahib's like, are you sure you don't want me to just take you right there? I'm like, no, it's fine, just like take me home and then I'll drive myself to the urgent care. So he takes me home, he, he drops me off. Um, luckily, I have a house full of gauze and band-aids because I'm very accident prone. So I've, I've got it bandaged up, Sahib leaves, and I just like sit in my house for a couple hours until it's time for me to go to the emergency room and like get this taken care of. So um, what do you do? I'm like sitting around. I've, I've got the bleeding under control. And then my smoke detector starts beeping because the battery's dead. I'm like, ah, of all times. So I'm like, well, I got nothing else to do. So <laughs> I, um, I stand on the couch, like on the, on the edge of the couch, and I'm like, this is, I know this is not a good idea, but like it's, it's beeping, what am I gonna do? Like throw a shoe at it? So I stand on the couch, I like tear it off of the wall. I don't have a new battery, so it's, my house is just temporarily unsafe if a fire comes. And um, I take it off the wall, I tear the battery out, and then um, I drive myself to urgent care. They give me eight stitches. I um, get on a plane, uh, two days later, um, fun fact, if you have a, a big bandage on your leg, the TSA have to like um, take you aside and pat it down thoroughly. Um, I went to my college reunion and I got drunk with old ladies and danced the whole weekend and it was great. Our next storyteller is Honestly, so if you guys don't know, we are a community. If it's your first time tonight, guess what? You're part of our community tonight. Frandu is one of my favorite members of this community. If you were here last month, you heard a story about me and Frandu. Frandu and I went through a lot together, and I'm so glad you're here. 
Please put your hands together for Frandu. Some guy wrote a book, The Seven Habit of Successful People, or Highly Successful People. Woohoo! He said, first things first. So thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Adam. This is great. After I became a hero in my first year of school, after I beat the bullies, I was the defender of the kindergartens. Because my father thought it was a bright idea to put me in first grade when I was five. And so, as a hero, being there was the custom. And so they dared me to go over to the witch who always hang out after school, scaring everybody out of their wits. And if I could go over and like scare her, and I said, freaking frack, yeah. <laughs> she looked like my grandmother, walked with a cane. My grandmother have had a nose more crooked than mine. My grandmother looked like a witch. But I loved my grandmother because we always establish a good fight since I was three. <laughs> and I would jump on her and she was like surprised. Ooh, we'll go back and it's like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> Surprise. So that day I decided, yeah, boom, boom, I will go. But you know, I had this little, my, my family had the habit of giving me oatmeal in the mornings to eat as lunch, and I was just really embarrassed to come out with, open up a, can, a, a, a glass jar and begin to drink this stuff, and everybody's like having sandwiches or something, you know, I don't know. So I had my, 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 bag with the oatmeal in a glass jar on my side of my satchel. And I walked over like a man that I wasn't. <laughs> Shaking in my feet, in fact, because you know, you know your grandmother, but you don't know strangers that look like witches and everybody's scared of. And I'm, and I'm just, I'm five years old and have maybe. So I went over to her and she just turned around like she knew I was coming. It was so freaking weird. Because <laughs> she was walking up three steps of, of concrete um, to get to her door. And that's when I approached her because I figured, surprised. So I would go, hey, you witch. And she turned around and picked up her cane and went like that to me and I lost my shit. <laughs> and I started like running down the street steps because they told me you gotta get really close to her so that you can smell her. And I said, yeah. 
So there's three, and I went up two, and when she turned around, I just, wow, and I fell down, and the jar broke, and it stabbed me right in my hand, and I still have the scar. It was just a piece of glass about half an inch wide that went into my hand right here, and it bled. <laughs> and I became a martyr in school. <laughs> and the good things were that I realized that people actually loved me, that the kids took care of me, that they came to pick me up from the floor and they picked up my hand and saw my plan and said, oh, oh, and we cannot pull it out. It's like so big, it's better to just leave it there. Just don't move your hand, we'll take you home. And they took me home. And the best, the best is what happened when I was walking home. Because I have learned what my father had taught me. He said, it hurts me more than it hurts you. And I kept thinking, give me the whip. Let me whip you. Because <laughs> if you want to teach me something, then let me be painful. I'll hit you and it'll hurt me more, I guess. <laughs> and then I got it because I have beat up the freaking bullies. And I have made him bleed. And it hurt. It really hurt. So here is this witch, and I got myself bleeding on the hand, and I'm like thinking about that. And I'm thinking that vanity is really shitty. That you cannot pretend. That you're just lucky. That those freaking bullets could have beat the shit out of me that I scared him because I was afraid, but I didn't let the fear stop me. So here I am, shaking in my legs, saying thank you very much for being here. My name is Frandu, thanks a lot. Thank you, Brando. All right, our next storyteller is fantastic and amazing, so please put your hands together for Kelsey Pedersen. I hope that some of you remember the very first time you ever got your heart broken, um, because it hurts like hell, and I, at least this is what happened for me, so I hope that it's mildly relatable. I turned into a psycho. So here's a story about I, when I turned into the crazy ex-girlfriend, the stereotypical crazy ex-girlfriend. So I had this boyfriend, and I should explain a little bit about him first. I had this boyfriend all through college, and he um, didn't like me very much. We, uh, we dated for three years. I think for two and a half of those years, he was trying to man up to break up with me, but he couldn't figure out how to do it. So that's fine. Um, and 
And one of those red flags, like early on, was his mom told me, hey, like, I'm going to call him Rob because he has a very distinct name. So we're just going to call him Rob. Hey, Rob has this thing where, like, he doesn't break up with anyone. He just, like, is progressively shittier and shittier to them so that they break up with him first. And I, that should have been a red flag, but I was like, yeah, whatever. So he had this thing where, like, he would just... I think the kids call it ghosting now, but he would just like disappear for days on end um, and just not respond to any of my texts, not respond to any of my calls, like et cetera, et cetera. So we had been together for a while and um, I hadn't heard from him for four or five days, which is like kind of standard, but we had a date that night. So I was like confident that he would show up for the date because he usually did. And I went to work and then uh, Michael Jackson died. So I was like really sad about that. and then I came home and I was like, hey, like, Michael Jackson died, that sucks. Like, do you want to go to this bar? And like, they're playing Michael Jackson songs all night. And he had this thing of like sending very cryptic text messages when I did actually hear from him. So he said, um, no, work softball game. Like, that's it. Like, he's talking in code. Um, and then he said, also, this is the only time he's ever used punctuation in a text message. He said, also, comma, I'm not interested in dating you anymore. And I was like, bitch, we're about to throw down. So I waited for this work softball game to be over, and I drove to his house. This is, I'm, I want to go back in time and just hug the tiny version of me because she just like didn't have any self-worth, and she was just like, like just leave him. He doesn't want to be with you. Like Just walk away. But I didn't, okay? So just... Here we go. So I drove to his house and like parked outside and waited for him to get out from this softball game. See him pull into the driveway, drive out of my house and like march up to the house. Like, I mean business, right? And I see him and I'm like, dude, like you don't just break up with somebody over text message. We've been together for two years, blah, 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 all this shit. And he was like, yeah, like I just don't, like I just don't like you. And the Kelsey of today would like walk away and be like, you are not worth like the skin that your face is printed on. But the Kelsey of then was like, oh my God, no, why? Like, I'm so desperate for you. Um, I sounded like that. Um, So I was like, no, like, tell me, like, what is going on? I need to understand why I need to learn how to fix this. And he's like, no, like, I just don't want to be with you. So pure desperation, and this is where the crazy comes in, and I, this is the most embarrassing story I've ever told here. I, like, grabbed his arm, and I didn't know what to do, and I panicked because he was going into his house, and he was going to abandon me forever, and I was never going to see him again, so I bit his arm. (laughs) And it worked because he stopped and, like, stepped back and was, like, did you just bite me? And I was like, Mm-mm. nope. No biting here. And then he was like, you're insane. And I was like, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, so I just like let him go into his house or I let him think that he was going into his house. And then I kicked off my flip flops. And um, the second he closed the front door, I bolted to the back door, which I knew they never locked, and I was like, I'm going to beat him up to his room. And I like went in the back door, and I went up into his room, and I'm running, and I'm running, and I beat him up into his room, and he walks into his room, and he's like, what in the fuck? And I was like, 
I just want to know why. Like, why are you doing this to me? And he looked down and he was like, why are you covered in blood? You're insane. And I looked down and like my feet are like mangled skin flappies and like blood. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go. Um, so I turned around, like walked down the back stairwell, like past my trail of blood, see this like very bloody like gear set from a bicycle like that I obviously tripped over on the way up there. I went back home, I cleaned up my body, like I took three Tylenol PM, which is too much for the record, and <laughs> I slept for like 11 hours. Like remember that I'm still sad because Michael Jackson died, so like, just remember that. Um, I wake up, I'm still sad for both of these things, and I take two more Tylenol PM, not a good choice, and go back to sleep, wake up, take two more, like, I just, like I'm just doing this, and I finally wake back up after the third set of Tylenol PM, and my roommate is like, so here's the thing, uh, we're not gonna keep doing this Tylenol PM thing anymore, you're done with that, um, so we're gonna go on a road trip, and she's like, we're just gonna drive places, and the second that we get to that place and you start crying, we're gonna go to a different place. So we went to the mall and we like, got a bunch of breakup clothes and like an ill-advised leather jacket, but like Michael Jackson had just died. Um, <laughs> and then we got Taco Bell and like I started crying in my cheesy Fiesta potatoes, so she's like, nope, let's go. She's like, I already called your dad, he's expecting us, he's like throwing a party tonight. So we went up and saw my dad and we partied all night and then I started crying at like five o'clock in the morning and she's like, let's go. And then I like cried over a sausage McMuffin and then she's like, let's go somewhere else. So like that is one of my best memories from college is like her ripping me along on this road trip. But I am ashamed to admit that when we got back from the road trip on Sunday, I got back together with that ass hat for another year. Uh, but one thing that I did work on really hard through that year is some self-confidence and self-worth. And when he pulled that shit again, 10 months later, where it was my college graduation day and he hadn't texted me in five days and didn't show up to the uh, ceremony, I drove to his apartment again after the ceremony and I came in and I went directly to his closet and picked out an outfit and I said, here's the fucking deal, Robert. It, I use his actual name, but like it was as profound, okay? Here's the deal, Robert. Uh, my parents are throwing me this huge luncheon. They're proud of me for graduating college, which you have not managed to do despite being here for seven years. So you are gonna come to this luncheon because your parents are also coming and you're gonna pretend to be proud of me and love me and then at the end of today, you are officially relieved of your boyfriend duties. Fuck off. Thank you. Thank you, Kelsey. Next up we have a man that I have known for 30, almost 31 years. I'm bringing this microphone up very high because he is my height, he is my father. Please give it up for David Rosted. There will be blood. Hmm. You know, from the time I was a little kid, uh, playing 500, does anybody know what 500 is even anymore? 
I remember as a little kid, I'm out there in the field across the street from my house. We had a great big open field. We're playing 500 and I have my glove up and it's a pop fly and bang, right in the nose. And blood comes gushing out of my nose all over. And then you go on into my, uh, to my later years, teenage years, uh, and I, uh, I worked in a grocery store. And from the time I was 14 years old, I was a butcher, which OSHA would not allow today. <laughs> but from the time I was 14 years old, I was, I was a butcher, and, uh, and I was a produce uh, manager and worker. And one night we were, uh, we were busting a quarter uh, of a beef. Do you know what, you know, we went out to bust a quarter of a beef and saw it up and take care of it. And uh, I went and I sawed out that beef and I, I hung the other half of the beef up on a meat hook. And I, I, I went up and I threw that beef up there on the meat hook and shoom, a meat hook went right through my hand. And so I come back in, and the, the cooler is out in this little garage area, and we come back into the meat, meat area, the meat counter area, and, uh, and I'm taking care of things, and, and this lady goes, could I have a pound of bratwurst, please? I'm going, uh, excuse me right now, I have a meat hook through my hand. <laughs> or the time I was... Uh, uh, having a, a, a celery chopping competition with one of my coworkers, see how fast we could chop a, a case of celery. And we're just, and I slit my hand. It just filleted my hand wide open right there. And I still have the scar and the really bad doctor stitches that I can actually see the stitches on the scar from what the doctor did. And then I was also in, uh, I was in Belize, and I was building houses. I built about uh, six houses in Belize, and I was in a Mayan village. And I, if you've ever been in a Mayan village, it is one of the most destitute places on the planet. And there's a little three-year-old boy who chopped his hand with a machete. And so I had to take care of this little boy whose hand was just filleted open and bleeding and, and the other people were like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. Don't, don't tell me. And I'm pouring water on it and wrapping it up and, and, uh, and taking care of it and bandaging it. And as bad as all of those bloody circumstances are, the one that sticks out most in my mind, and, and Adam, it's not the time I stuck my hand in a snowblower. <laughs> Yeah, the time I stuck my hand in a snowblower. I was in junior high school, and I was on the junior high school basketball team. And for the most part, being on the junior high school basketball team for me meant riding the pines. Do you know what that means? It means I sat on the bench. Okay, I was not a starter on the, uh, on the basketball team. And this is, this is reminiscent of the movie about Carrie. Do you remember Carrie? Do you remember the blood that they dumped on her head? And do you remember why they dumped the blood on her head? 
because she had had her period and she didn't know what was going on and everything else. Well, here I am in junior high school at the DeForest Junior High School, former high school building, and I am sitting on the bench and there is this young lady in the stands who later became known as Bloody Ruth. At a junior high level in the 19, late 1960s, I gotta tell you, you really don't know much about female anatomy. I mean, when we were in fourth grade, they took all the girls into the lunchroom, pulled all the drapes during noon recess, and they had the, and, and I remember as a little kid, as a, as a fourth grader, trying to peek around inside the, the, the shades that were pulled and seeing what was going on. And they showed him a movie about female things. And, and so we were, we were all curious. And when all the girls came out on the recess uh, playground, we were like, so what was it about? What was going on? And they were like, well, I'm not telling you. It was back in the day when feminine hygiene product commercials came on the TV as a kid, you went, because you didn't want your parents to know what was going on. I mean, it was like, we don't, we have no clue what's going on. It was back in the day when parents couldn't tell their daughters about what was going on. And so my sister relates a story to me that that when my older sister, when she was moving into the place of what some of you have referred to as womanhood, uh, my mom brought in a box of Kotex and threw them on the bed and said, here, you'll need these. <laughs> so here we are. My friends are out on the court playing basketball and I am uh, sitting on the bench riding the pines and up in the stands are all the junior high girls and, and, uh, and all of a sudden, and you gotta understand too, this is the era of white pants, okay? Everybody wears white pants. And, and, and Ruth is wearing white pants and she's a great behind us in school. And she's sitting on the bleachers and for some reason, and I don't know about, you know, if you can feel this coming on or if it's the first time or whatever, but all of a sudden, Ruth is running out of the gymnasium and she is covered in blood and her white pants are just bloody. And she became known as Bloody Ruth for the rest of her high school, junior high, high school career. Now, I'm not saying that's a, a good thing, but that's what she became known as. And every time you saw her in the hallway, every time you saw her going around, your first thought was, bloody Ruth. Bloody Ruth. How unfortunate of a situation that is for her. So difficult. I don't really know how to end this because I know it's so depressing. 
Let me tell you this for the most part, okay? I'm going to totally turn it around for a second. This has been a great day for me. Do you know why? I got a new pair of shoes. (laughs) Do you like them? You know, you may think it's a big, you know, it's not a big deal to get a new pair of shoes. But when you wear a size 15 and you walk into a store and you find a pair of 15 size shoes, that's a pretty big deal. So I have had a great day. Thank you very much. This is actually a serious story. Um, uh, Two weeks ago, was it two weeks ago this weekend, Papa died? Um, My wife's grandfather, who it's not fair to to say my wife's grandfather. If you were at the uh, Wisconsin Public Television Story Slam, you heard this story already. Um, It's not fair to just say it was my wife's grandfather because he was Papa. He is Papa. And, uh, no, you go ahead, take your call. (laughs) Um, He passed away, and he was 94, I think he was going to be 94 this summer. And uh, he had a long, amazing life. He was a chef for many years. Uh, He met his wife at the Spanish Cafe on State Street. Does anybody remember the Spanish Cafe on State Street? No? That's good because it was like from 1930. <laughs> um, he loved to cook. He, he ran the kitchen in the Stam House for many years in Middleton. And uh, like his, one of, like, so two years ago I got to sit down with Papa and put this microphone in front of his face and say, tell me everything, right? And one of his like proudest things to talk about was to make the dumplings for the Stam House. And the Stam House was known for the dumplings, and Papa came up with a recipe for that. So, you know, our theme is there will be blood, and I'm, I'm talking about family, and there's blood, you know, the, the, your blood family. And Papa wasn't my blood family, but he was. Hey, Dad. I grew up in a family, I grew up in a Norwegian family. And we loved each other. But not the way that Papa's family loved each other. And Papa taught me so much about what love is and what blood is and what it means to be blood. You know, in relationship, in community, in family, there will be blood. There will be sweat and tears as well. There will be blood. You will bleed for your family. You will bleed for your community. But there will be good times too. Papa was this amazing guy. I I, I don't have time to tell you all how amazing Papa was. But I I don't want to let tonight pass by without honoring Papa. I don't know if you're religious or not, but I'm going to play something for you that Papa did for me um, two years ago when I got to interview him. Papa was a devoted devoted Catholic man. And uh, I am not Catholic at all. (laughs) But he was. And uh, I asked him at the end of our talk, I said, do you have any favorite prayers? And he just said, amen. You're going to hear this in a second. And then he he, he prayed with us, and then he sang with us. 
And it really, I, I, I think that Papa knew that his end was coming. He prayed for his end to come for many years. He had lost uh, a child, a grandchild, uh, his wife, a longtime girlfriend. He was ready. He woke up every day going, why am I here? I don't want to be here. So I think Papa knew that he was not long for the world when I talked to him on the microphone. And uh, he gave us this parting gift, and this is what blood family relatives mean to me. And so um, this is Papa. How about a favorite prayer? Amen. Do you think we could end uh, just by reciting the Lord's Prayer together? Sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. 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 Let's do it again. So that was Papa. I'm glad I got to share with you a little bit about Papa. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Please put your hands together for Kelly O'Farrell. Thank you. Well, thank you to my two friends, because it's past our bedtime. <laughs> and thank you to all of you who have stayed this long. And you're maybe hearing your last period story of the night. <laughs> Certainly, I've had, I haven't had one for five years. I've had at least four uh, hot flashes sitting over there, so it's been nice. Um, but when I was a young girl, um, I, w we, I went with my family, um, me, Mama, Daddy, and Kim, with our friends Ruth and Jimmy and their kids, Ruth, uh, Kathy and Daryl. And we went to Cherry Grove Beach, and um, we were going to go in the pool. I wanted to go in the pool. Now, I'm looking at this crowd, and so the average age of most of these girls and women, they don't remember. They, it would never think twice about going in a pool if you have your period, because you can wear a tampon. But when I first started getting my period, it was not that simple. It was a big white um, pad with an elastic belt that you had to put around your hips and two safety pins <laughs> held that thing in place. And so that's what we had to use. So, and what I had been told, what my mother said was, if you will get in the pool, your period will stop. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> So we don't know if it's true or not because I haven't Googled it and we never questioned it, <laughs> ever. We made very good Southern Baptists because we did not question anything. <laughs> and um, so I, I, as a matter of fact, I remember probably when I was 18 or 19, my sister had already moved out of the house. We're sitting around, mom and daddy and me, and we're watching a PBS special and I'm not lying, it came, what it was telling us was why we bled. Never once had anyone questioned, why do we bleed every month? No one wondered that. 
It just did. No one wondered. Um, and so I remember something about sloughing of our uterus. We had no idea. And I remember looking at my mother and father and saying, did you know this? <laughs> and they were shocked. They were equally shocked. Um, so, yeah, we, so I'm in my early teenage years, I guess. And so there had to be a plan to get me in the pool to stop my period. Fortunately, I didn't ever know at this at that point. I had not heard those horror stories about the poor girl who's in the pool and she's having a really good time. And the next thing she knows, everyone's leaving the pool and they're all looking at her and and she looks down and it's because she started her period. I didn't know about that story then, thankfully. I don't even know if that story is true. <laughs> so I got the the plan was I would have on my shorts and my t-shirt, and I would walk down from the hotel room down into the pool area, and I would walk very close to the pool, and our, my friend Daryl, who was also in on the story, he would pretend to push me in the pool, at which point my period would stop. <laughs> and then I would get out of the pool, and this, and this is what happened. I walked by the pool, he pushed me in, I feigned surprise and irritation, and I went back upstairs, changed my clothes, put my bathing suit on, came back downstairs, went back in the pool, and apparently everything was fine, which is just proof that it is true. You do not need to Google it. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. All right, that is going to do it for us today on the Madison Story Slam podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to some great stories about the times we bled. You know, here's the thing. I said it on the last episode many times. I knew what I was getting myself into when I chose the theme, There Will Be Blood. And I hope that you understand that I'm not bothered by period stories. I really am not. Uh, it's it's interesting to hear the perspective of people who have periods. It's interesting to hear the perspective of women. I, it's really why I chose the theme, because I thought it was a, a great theme to showcase our female storytellers, so I'm glad we had a bunch of Hey, come out on March 17th. That's Saturday, March 17th at the Wilmar Center for Story Slam Big and share a big story with us. We will have Ale Asylum beer as we always do. And on May 12th at Mr. Roberts at 2116 Atwood Avenue. Come read a short story, a journal entry, an old letter at Madison Story Slam Presents. Read it and weep. And as always, I love you.